Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another big show of the Tony Wolf Unhinged Podcast. I am your host, Tony Wolf, and everybody knows I'm unhinged, so you never know what I'm going to talk about. Hope you all been enjoying the shows. We're on episode 13 this week, and I've decided to do a part two to my life in wrestling and some road stories. Now, I'm not going to go into the juicy ones because some of them are just too hot for radio and too hot for podcasts. But we're going to talk about some other things on pro wrestling and on my time in it. And I hope you enjoy the show. If you have any questions, you can email me at at thewolfdenblog at yahoo.com. That's thewolfdenblog at yahoo.com. And send your questions in, send your comments in. If you know me on Facebook and the Twitter machine and all those other social medias, you can leave me messages, either DM or whatever on there, and I'll get back to you. Maybe you'll be on the podcast. Remember, you can also listen to my podcast not only here at Red Circle Podcast, but you can listen to it on Spotify and on Google Podcasts. So there's several places you can find the Tony Wolf Unhinged Podcast. And um, we'll be right back after these messages and we'll get into some fun road stories. See ya. Be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Tony Wolf unhinged podcast i'm your host tony wolf and it took me a minute to get the second part of this recorded because of work and weather and everything else that's going on in the world today but like i told you this week's episode is part two of my road stories and stuff that i've seen and heard in pro wrestling um remember i'll say this again you can hear me on Spotify, on Google Podcast, and uh, you can also hear it here on Red Circle Podcast. So, let's see, where do I want to begin? Um, well, the show I was talking about last time where we went to Charlotte, North Carolina for three days, four days, whatever it was. First day, well, part of that trip was... We had a fanfare before the show. I think it was the day before the show. And at that show, or at that fan fest, I got to meet Charles Robinson and met uh, Lou Thez and several others. But what was funny was the day of the show, we show up, me and promoter who will remain nameless, and uh, they weren't going to use me. The head or The head referee said, yeah, we'll use him. But the promoter that was booking the show and running the locker room, they didn't want to use me because they had never seen me referee before. They didn't know if I knew what the hell I was doing. So we finally got where I was able to be second ref on a battle royal for the NWA Junior Heavyweight title. They were impressed enough to where they gave me a singles match and... Uh, must have impressed some people because after that, anytime the NWA had a uh, a reunion show, anniversary show, whatever you want to call it, they would use me, and we'll get into that story a little bit later. But I'm sitting in the locker room, sitting off in the corner, and Abdullah the Butcher comes in, and everybody knows Abdullah is a big boy. 
He's a madman from the Sudan, judo expert, so forth. And they brought him a chair. He goes to sit down, and they had brought him a folding chair. And all I remember is I'm leaning over getting my stuff out of my bag. I hear Abby go to sit down. Next thing I know, I hear kabloom! And him look, and I look up, and there he sits on the floor and says, Somebody get me a goddamn chair, not folding chair. So, needless to say, everybody kind of got, was sitting back, kind of trying not to laugh, but watching Abby sit down in a folding chair, and that sucker went straight to the floor was hilarious. I'm sorry. I was young in the business. I tried not to laugh, but I was laughing under my breath. That was funny. But uh, then later on the night, uh, Sweet Stan Lane was looking for a chain to use for his match, and I was always the one who came with all the gimmicks, so I said, I got one, he gave it to him. He come back after the match, said, uh, here's the chain, you might want to wash it. I had it down my shorts. I'm like, oh, God. So I just kind of opened up my little storage bag that I kept it in. I said, you can drop it in there. He put it in the storage bag. And I got back to the hotel room that night. And I washed that sucker with every inch of every bit of soap I could get. But things like that were just funny little occurrences at shows. You never knew from show to show what it was going to be. If you were in a locker room, you didn't know. You had to introduce yourself. You had to be the polite person and professional. And I mean, there was times when I would walk into a locker room, go to shake hands, and it's like, hi, I'm Tony, hi, I'm Tony, blah, blah, blah. Nobody would shake hands with me. Referee Tony, how you doing? Few of them would shake hands, but they didn't know who I was. Later on in my career, that changed, but it was always... The thing that I was taught, you got to be polite in the locker rooms. you got to show respect to the, the veterans. And sometimes I don't see that anymore. I haven't been in a locker room in probably seven or eight years now, other than training. But that was something I saw was going away, was some of these guys just walking in, saying, where's my corner? And going over and sitting down and not even saying hello to anybody unless he knew them. So there's some. That's a quick story. Um, let me think. What else was there? I've got several others, but I've got to be careful. Oh, we were on a trip to Virginia. Had done all the the pre stuff that I had to do to work as a referee in Virginia, but it was a ring rental, and it was like myself. Another guy in the, the ring truck, and then I think two cars behind us going over that were helping out as our ring crew, and also working the matches. Well, the show was on right at the West Virginia-Virginia border, so we're taking this little winding two-lane road, nowhere to pull off, nowhere to go to the bathroom, no nothing. And old dumb me had bought a 32-ounce uh Gatorade and I had to go so I ended up using the bottle while the other guy drove and we were right up against a hillside I didn't think nothing about it I just hurled the damn thing out of the truck because we both were like I ain't 
carrying this thing all the way to the next gas station. Well, what I didn't know was when I hurled it out the door, it hit the uh, hillside right beside the truck and splattered all over the car behind us, which happened to be one of our traveling guys. And somebody said, when they, we got to the next, or got to the town, they said, what the hell did you throw out the door? And I said, you don't want to know. They're like, why? Oh, it splattered all over my car. <laughs> I just started laughing. But those are small road stories that you never hear guys talking about. You hear guys talking about, oh, I got to work with this guy. Oh, I got to work with that guy. There's times when if you listen to some of the shoot interviews that are out there, there's some funny-ass road stories that they tell. And some of the books, Cornette put out a book talking about some of the road stories that he was involved with. And then you got Freddie Blassie when, in his book talking about how different the wrestling business was, about him going to all of these talk shows and being on talk shows and being on uh, guest appearances on syndicated stuff. And they don't do that much anymore. Now you're lucky if you can get bookings. And when you do, most of these guys, all they want to do is the wrestling. They don't want to do anything else. They don't realize you got to have a, a side hustle. But uh, we, uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, but we had a anniversary show down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. I had got off work from my day job, had my gear in my car, took off to the airport, fell asleep in Columbus Airport, woke up that mo a few hours later, jumped on a plane, got into uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, had to run from one side of the terminal to the other to catch my next flight onto Corpus. Got into Corpus, my ride picked me up, we went to the grocery store to pick up some snacks for the room, went to the hotel, and we were like, and we were right on the ocean. The One of the battleship's displays was just down the, the ocean from where we were at, but we were right on the Gulf of Mexico. Beautiful view. What nobody seemed to have told us was coming in off the Pacific side was a hurricane. We got to the room. We unpacked. I laid down. Me and the promoter laid down in our beds on each side of the room and went to sleep. We took a nap. Next thing we know, we hear somebody pounding on the door. And it was somebody, one of the wrestlers was like, they're going around to all the rooms. We got to clear the rooms there's a hurricane coming across, like, right south of us. Okay. So we all grabbed what we could grab, ran down to the office of this hotel, and you had probably 20 or 30 wrestlers, girlfriends, promoters, whatever, stuck in this one little office. And next thing we know, we're looking out the door, there is rain blowing sideways, not at a 45-degree angle. I'm talking at a pure 90-degree angle. It was like just cutting through everything, the way the wind was blowing. So it was like, okay, I flew into town within two hours of me getting into Corpus Christi, Texas. Went through a hurricane. I'm like, great, just what we needed to do to start this, this show. And it was an interesting show. I mean, we played a big hockey arena there, but it didn't draw much of a crowd. I mean, it was decent, probably seven or 800 people maybe. 
but there was everything in the world went wrong with this show from the hurricane to the video company didn't do the job right so they didn't even get a video of the show to some of the wrestlers were I don't know how to put it with what they were but it was it was a good show but it was a lot of problems on it years later we went to um, to Nashville for a four day show I think I think it was a four day show I was on up there or down there and got to the we got we drove in we got to the hotel and the night before the first show the uh, senior referee for the for NWA was there in our room we were all hanging out just having a conversation they were having some meetings he looked at me and said Tony I said yes sir and it was Fred Rubenstein Fred Richards he said uh, I'm not going to work the first two shows I said okay he goes you're in charge of the referees I'm like holy hell and I'm thinking, what is this all about? Why is he putting me in charge of the referees? Well, ended up, I ended up working. The first show had eight matches. I refereed seven matches. The second night, I believe it was 12 matches. And I think I refereed all 12 of them. The third night was in the Nashville Fairgrounds. And we had a whole shitload of referees. I said, nope, ain't going to do it. And I told Fred, I said, I'll referee four matches. We ended up having 25 matches on the show. So I refereed two of the early matches and two of the late matches. But it was like almost one o'clock before we even got done with the last match. But it was... All three of those shows were just wild. So in three days, I refereed 21, 23, somewhere around that matches. And by the time I got back to the hotel on the third night, I was hurting so bad. I didn't know what world I was in. But if you've seen the NWA anniversary show from Nashville... The match where Abyss squashes me in the corner, that'll show you a lot of why I was hurting that night. <laughs> but it was a great show. Great time working with some wrestlers. It's the first time I ever worked with Tracy Smothers, God rest his soul. And we had never met. We had never worked together. And after that, that match with Tracy, me and him... Every time I went to a show, he's like, brother, how are you doing? It treated me like part of the family. So that shows that when you earn respect of the veterans because of the way you work, that it means something. And every time I saw Tracy after that, we were copacetic. We, I never went out drinking with him. God, I knew better than that. Tracy and Kevin Sullivan... And a couple of the other boys, you didn't want to go out drinking with them because if you did, you wouldn't be walking straight and would not be able to fly or drive a car. But 
needless to say, we'll move on from that. But there's, I mean, there's always little road stories. I've heard some where one of the guys was sat in a hotel room on an indie show and a, I will just say, a current WWE star was there and they had got, they were getting ready to go work out before the show and they were all sitting there in the, the hotel room and the guy walks over to his bag, pulls out his uh, something and gave himself a shot in the ass before he went to the gym. So you can just about imagine what that was. And the guy had never seen anybody do this as far as I know. Never saw it done again. But that was the kind of things you never knew what you were going to walk into in a hotel room. Somebody shooting up steroids, somebody taking pills, somebody drinking, somebody doing whatever. And I'm not the only one to say this. You, If you've listened to other shoot interviews, you know that kind of stuff happens in wrestling. But there's... <clears throat> There was a lot of things with the wrestling business on the road. Injuries. I told you about the one with JT Lightning getting his arm cut at a show. Had uh, a show up in uh, Titusville, Pennsylvania for another promotion called uh, Madmar Productions. They were doing a fair show. And one of the wrestlers that we were traveling with at the time went to do a fly or Mick Foley elbow off the back of a set of bleachers and he landed wrong and ended up breaking or damaging a bunch of places in his back and they had to take him out in an ambulance. So we ended up having to leave him in PA for like a week and then his family had to go up there and pick him up because we couldn't sit around there and wait on him, but he ended up, he took, I think, six months, eight months off, got his back in shape, and went back to wrestling. He didn't wrestle much, but he did still continue to wrestle. I've told you all the story about Rocky Reynolds going off a ladder, and the ladder kicked on him, and him smacking his head off the floor right as the guys caught his legs. And him ended up with 13 stitches in his head, or staples in his head. And then uh, the doctor told him, he said, if it wasn't for the muscles in your neck, you'd have broke your neck. And I mean, I've seen stuff like that happen more times than I want to count. But it's just part of the wrestling business. Um trying to think of something else other stories that I can tell for people that are oh my oh I hadn't been in very long at this point this is a good story buddy of mine had I had never met the kid I was just told hey we got a new guy coming in gonna help with the ring crew he's gonna start training we've already done his tryout blah 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 you and him are going to go in the ring truck 
and uh, you'll be the ring crew, and then we'll take off and leave you all, and you'll tear the ring down and come back. Okay. Well, we were up there in this building, and we decided, or I decided, that I was going to show him. I asked him how much had they shown him, and he told me. I said, uh, let me show you a few things. Well, I showed him a few things that I knew that I had already been trained on, but then I showed him stuff that I hadn't been trained on, but I showed him safe ways of doing it. Now I ended up giving the guy an inverted tombstone pile driver. And his head never touched the floor. But we both got in trouble for that one. And he, he got in trouble for ever letting me do it to him. And I got in trouble for doing it to him. But we were both trying to learn... We were both trying to get time to practice, and it was the only time either one of us really had an opportunity when the ring was set up to be able to do stuff. But he'll know who I'm talking about. He knows the, the story, and he'll laugh his head off remembering it. But uh, there's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fellowship that you get being in the wrestling business, a lot of good memories, a lot of bad memories, a lot of things that's just like, why did I ever do that? And a lot of, these are things that are going to stick with me for the rest of my life. And I can honestly tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, some of the wrestlers that I have met, not all, some of the managers... Some of the promoters, I still consider friends, acquaintances, and brothers and sisters to this day. They may not feel the same way about me, but that's another topic for another day. But I can tell you from years of experience, and people that have been trained by me will tell you, if they met me when I first got started to now, that there is a difference in my philosophy towards the wrestling business. I got very jaded toward the wrestling business, but I also had a lot of fun in the wrestling business. I, had, I was lucky enough that... We were at a show with a gentleman by the name of Charlie Milhauser. I think it's his last name. He was known as um, the Scuffling Hillbilly J.R. Hogg. His nephew, J.T., and I still are very close. We talk online all the time. And he was him and J.T. were coming back from a show. They were, and the other guys had the ring truck break down. And they didn't have to be back to work the next day. I did. So JT said, JR said, yeah, I'll give him a ride back to his car. So they did. We hung out, and I learned so much from talking to JR over the years until he passed away. And just getting that opportunity to listen to road stories from the 60s and 70s and getting to hear about some of the stuff that he done in the wrestling business 
really changed my way of thinking about how I teach people how to do stuff. And I go more old school, but I also use a lot of the techniques that they sh that some of these online uh, seminars show and stuff that I've just learned over trial and error. You never want to be just like everybody else when you're in the wrestling business. You always want to be your own character. Take a look. Myself, I took a little bit from um, Nick Patrick. I took a little bit from Tommy Young. Took a little bit from um, Earl Hebner. Took a little bit from other referees that I've seen and watched on TV over the years. Uh, Tim White, different ones. I can't even remember all the names of the referees that I've seen over the years. And I took... Pee Wee Anderson, I think, was one of the others that I was impressed with. For such a small guy, he was able to do a lot of things that you wouldn't expect. But that was the thing about the wrestling business. You never wanted to take and say, I'm a carbon copy of Tommy Young, or I'm a carbon copy of Hulk Hogan, or I'm a carbon copy of Ric Flair. You took the things that you saw that they did that was good, and made them your own. So my recommendation to anybody, and I mean anybody, that's interested in getting into wrestling business, don't do it because of the money. Don't do it because of the fame. Do it because you have a passion for doing it. And the love of entertaining people. So that's my wrap up on that. Just remember, because I'm going to, Fade right into my closing. So just remember, if you have any questions, you can email me. My email's in the description below. I've given it multiple times. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Um, if you know me on social media, you know how to get a hold of me there. Remember, you can listen to me on Red Circle Podcast, on Google Podcast, and on Spotify at the Tony Wolf Unhinged Podcast. And hope everybody enjoyed some, some more of my road stories. I'm sure I've got more, but there's some of the guys out there that I don't want to embarrass, don't want to give bad press to, so I won't tell those stories. But hope everyone has a good day. Be safe, and remember, I'm Tony Wolf. I'm unhinged. You never know what I'm going to say. You never know when. And until next week, see you when I see you. Bye.